0: Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Illinois Wesleyan head coach Dennis Martell. Coach Martell is entered his 34th season as the baseball coach at Illinois Wesleyan. He has over 836 wins with the Titan program. In 2010, Illinois Wesleyan won the Division III National Championship. He was named the ABCA Diamond Sports National Coach of the Year and won his second Region Coach of the Year award that season. In this episode, we discuss what he loves about Illinois Wesleyan and the Bloomington Normal area having a Division III, Division I, and Junior College program two miles from each other. His mentors growing up, hanging banners, their 2010 National Championship run, and what he's enjoying about the recently released ABCA videos. This episode is broken up into two segments, I tried to be smart and record with him on campus when I was out filming last week, but the SD card malfunctioned in the beginning of taping. Uh, Expect the unexpected with technology. Uh, This first segment is recorded via Zoom in my office, and the second is from Hornberger Stadium on Illinois Wesleyan's campus. I'll transition you guys from segment one to seven, segment two during the episode, so don't worry about it. Let's welcome Coach Martel to the podcast. All right, here with Coach Martel round two. This is actually round one, um, and we'll get back into round two, but... The first part we're at Hornberger Stadium and my SD card malfunctioned in the beginning and so now we're we're going back. I'm in my office in Greensboro and Coach is in his office and in, in at Illinois Wesleyan. So coach, thanks for jumping back on with me.
1: Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Yep. No, that's um I'm excited to to get to the preview here of of the second part. So you know, expect the unexpected with technology. I've learned that um, the last 10 months that you just assume that sometimes things will malfunction and then you just adjust on the fly. Um, can you can you talk about your path? And you've been at Illinois Wesley now 34 years. Talk about where you started and then how you got there and uh, some of the mentors you had along the way that helped you. You
1: know, I took kind of an unusual path. I, I always wanted to get into athletics and uh, when I graduated from high school I took three years before I went to college I you know didn't know what I want didn't know really my path how to get there and people said don't do it not enough jobs too many people in it Um, you're not gonna make any money so I worked construction for three years and get to the point I kind of hated life and decided I you know wanted to get into coaching and teaching and so I went to college and I looked at my dad, I said, you know, I want to do this. And he said, hey, don't wait till you're 30 and then regret not going. So do it now, you're young, single. And, but I had done a lot of uh, coaching, uh, youth sports, youth leagues, basketball and baseball, you know, from age 16, 17, right up and through college. And actually my, my first job I really had I got paid was at Bangor Community College coaching junior college basketball and I knew the ad because I was playing basketball every day and he came out one day we get talking and he said his coach just quit and uh, I said well I can you know help run some practices for you so he let me do it and about two weeks later I said well how are you doing and you know did you find somebody he goes yeah he goes you and you know I don't know he gave me like three thousand dollars back then that was a, a ton of money for a college kid and so I did that. Ended up being there for four years, and just that kind of started it. I was at um, Maine, and I was a gym rat. I knew the basketball, baseball coaches, and afternoons I would go out watch practices, um, picking guys' brains, and came to grad school at Illinois State.
0: How, how did you um, How did you get from Maine to Illinois State?
1: One of my best friends was coming out. To Illinois State to get uh, her master's in athletic training. Illinois State had one of the, I think at the time, like eight or nine schools in the country that had uh, athletic training as, a, as a, a graduate degree. So I wanted to get my master's because I thought I'd want to get into college coaching. So didn't care really how or where and um, got accepted out here, got a tuition waiver, grad assistantship. So I actually was able to get my master's for free and um god I was in town maybe three days and talking to the graduate program director and he I said yeah I'd like to get involved with basketball and one thing led to another I got hooked on at Illinois Wesleyan with Denny Bridges and I was the JV coach with him <laughs> and then halfway through the year the baseball coach had resigned and one day we're watching the baseball guys and I'm like what are you going to do with baseball he said yeah, you know, I'm gonna wait till the end of the year, and then I'm gonna start coaching them. And I said, "Yeah, they're just doing nothing out here." So I said, "You know, they should be doing this, this, and this." And he asked me what I knew about baseball, and I said, "Well, probably, you know, better baseball guy than basketball." So the next day, he we had lunch. He talks baseball, and he said, "You're gonna be my coach." He said, uh, "I'm gonna coach the games. You're gonna run practices." <laughs> so. I did that for a year and uh, really, again, not knowing what I was doing half the time. But uh, at the end of the year, he said, I like what you do. I'm going to hire you next year as a full time assistant basketball and baseball coach. And I remember he says, If you keep your nose clean, he said, I'm going to give you the baseball job in two years. And I was like, wow, you know, 27 years old, be a head baseball coach again, I didn't know what I was doing half the time. A lot of, you know, those early years, we had some, you know, good players and it was kind of a learning process. And Well, I how, how much
0: freedom and- though is that, that you didn't have anybody looking over your shoulder there as you're, you're playing in practices? Like how much freedom was that for you?
1: Oh, maybe too much because <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it all. Uh, but boy, you know, I was a young kid. I went to a lot of clinics. I went to U of I's baseball practices with Augie Garrido, God bless him. I uh, went to Bradley's with Dewey Comer, Duffy Bass, Jeff Stewart at ISU, Illinois State. Um, you know, just kind of picked guys' brains, talked to a lot of guys, and you know, it was kind of a learn on the on the job type of thing. And it's evolved as anything else. I, I don't think my path would ever be. Nobody could replicate it, you know, in 2020. But in 1985, you know, uh, Division Three baseball, especially at Illinois West End, was just – it was okay. It was not a great program. Um, and when I took over, they had had some, you know, pretty lean years. And,
0: you know, so. <laughs> you talked about those head coaches in that area at that time, all different personalities. What are some of the things you picked up from a Duffy Bass, an Augie Garrido, a Dewey Calmer?
1: You know, the biggest thing was how, how simple everything was. You know, I was thinking they're going to have these drills where guys run around and just, you know, very in-depth. And, and I just looked and said, wow, everything they do is, is very simple. And, you know, I remember I think it was Dewey Calmer once said, he goes, Dennis, it's, you pitch it, you hit it, you throw it. He said, it's not complicated. He says, keep it simple with your players. And you know, I was like, OK. And so we, we, we do a lot of simple things still to this day. Um, uh, simple things like we still play pepper at least once a week, if not twice a week for 10 minutes. And the guys sometimes have no clue what they're doing. But I still think it's a great hand-eye coordination drill, handling the bat, you know, trying to hit to the guy on the left, hit the guy on the right. Uh, I hope it comes cool.
0: back. I, I think that was why guys had better bat-to-ball skills back in the old days is because they did play more of that stuff. And the hitting gurus out there now will kill me for saying that. But it did get you figuring out how to get the sweet spot of the bar- barrel on the ball without taking a full 100% swing. Yep,
1: and the guys throwing it, the, the hand-eye coordination, you know, kind of. Some, so once in a while, you get a rocket back at you, yeah. but a lot of short hops. So there. Yeah, the fielding
0: portion stuff. of it is tremendous too. So you're getting both. You're getting the bat to ball skill, but also the receiving because if you drop the ball, you're going to the end of the line.
1: Yeah, so you know, it's it, it's still it's challenging when they first get out there because they it's a, it's not a game or a skill. Set that, that can't be safe anymore. for
0: your guys now. That you know, guys have never had to take a half swing before. That can't be safe for the guys throwing.
1: Well, some guys up there and I'm like, no, you just tap the ball inside the ball. You know, the ball's on the outside of the plate. You hit it to the guy over towards the first baseline inside. You get your hands through. You know, you just I think it's a really good back control drill. But, you know, I'm old school.
0: <laughs> How unique is it? You're in an area, a two mile area that has a division one program in Illinois State, a junior college in Heartland and a division three in Illinois Wesleyan. How unique is that?
1: Oh, I think it's, it's fantastic. If you ever want to retire, this is the kind of environment you want to retire in. Uh, you got the division one athletics, you know, you got division three athletics, Juco athletics. There's also five high school teams in town. Uh, you know, I'm a sports guy. I mean, there's, there's a game every night of the week you can go see. Um, but just to have three levels of college, you know, all within about a two mile radius of each other, um, I think it's a phenomenal place. I, I think it's you know, you know, for me being an East Coast guy, if you put this out by the ocean in Maine, this would be a great, great, the greatest gig in the world. <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, people, we're very fortunate people can't this
0: see this right now, but I'm looking at Coach Martel's office. He has his ABCA All Region nominees, winners behind that are framed. So that's a great look.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that's a ton of them,
0: actually. What are yeah, the you know
1: years in, <laughs> many years in many years you you get a few of those guys.
0: What are your biggest challenges being at a high academic school? Oh,
1: just, I don't think there are challenges. You know, you have to sift through a lot more kids just for the academic side of things. The challenge now is that you know, an academic school like Illinois Wesleyan is is the tuition. Uh, it, is, it is skyrocketed, and um, you know, you you got to work the money, which a lot of Division threes. But a lot of guys we compete against, you know, they're $15, sixteen thousand dollars 16000 maybe $20,000 cheaper right off the top. And so, you know, you have to rely on people. Uh, you know, I can't get out and see everybody. So I have to a lot of times rely on good coaches that I've known forever that I trust to say, I got a kid for you uh, that I may not be able to get out and see as much so. It 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 is hard, but you know there's a lot of great academic schools in Division three that have great athletics. But the old saying, you have to shake more trees, you know, to find players, and that's what we've done over the years, and I think it's worked pretty well.
0: Here's where we're going to transition into part two, uh, segment two here of this episode thanks for hanging in there uh, you'll notice a little bit of a audio transition here because we went from taping inside uh, to now we're going to tape outside uh, we had a little bit of mower going um, that's always the the part about taping outside is sometimes you might get some background noise but uh we're all good i listen to it so enjoy the rest of the episode thanks guys What are the positives?
1: You know, people come in here and they're looking for the academics at a high level, and we can sell that our reputation um, not only locally, statewide, and in the Midwest. So when people come in, they understand um, Illinois Wesleyan, the academics that we have, and it, it really sells itself.
0: How do you try to sustain success year after year? I mean, Tough school here, Um, you have some positives, but how do you try to sustain success every year?
1: Very simply, recruit good players. My athletic director who hired me, when he did hire me, he said, now you're like one of these young coaches, they're gonna come in and they're gonna, you know, change everything. He said, and coach all these kids up. He said, if you had a choice between being the world's greatest coach or the world's greatest recruiter, be the world's greatest recruiter because you win with talent and denny bridges was very very successful basketball wise i still think he's in the top five in the in the country all-time uh, wins leaders and people said god you won so much and and he was a competitor but to him he said what i've made sure is i get off the bus with better players than the other guy and so i've taken a lot of that and and i work side by side with him for 20 years um you recruit good players, you always have a chance to win. And I think I've really hit that hard and you've been on the recruiting trail and you've seen me out there as much, if not more than anybody. And just, it that's what it takes. And a small thing, building relationships, trusting coaches, because we can't see everybody, but I call a coach and some coaches tell me, hey, Ryan Brown is a really good player, you need to recruit him. I'm gonna recruit him sight unseen other guys how they much of that everybody. is guys
0: you trust though that that you've gone to over the years that have been right on guys for you that understand who can show up here and, and play for you all of it
1: just trust is a big word In 35
0: years i mean you, you're gonna have a, a pretty large group of connections
1: and you hope that their kids came down here and had a good experience that that's a big help but there are coaches out there that Absolutely, they call me and they say, I got a player, I'm gonna recruit that player.
0: You've had quite a few guys go on to play professional baseball out of here. Um, What's the difference between the guys that actually make it um, and the guys that don't make it?
1: (laughs) Simply, talent level. Uh, We've had uh, quite a few, I couldn't tell you, eight, 10, 12 kids that have gone to play pro ball. Uh, They've all lasted, you know, they, had success. None of them never made it up to the big leagues, but they had a great experience in pro ball. Um, but they were kids that none of them came in here where I thought he was gonna be a draft choice. And I don't think that's what Division Three is. We're still gonna get great players, but uh, the Steve Shelsky uh, shows up as a freshman, 83-84, comes out as a sophomore. He's 92-93 with a power slider and you're saying, what happened? Uh, to be honest with you, it wasn't coaching, it was just the physical maturity. And he also worked on the side at it. As um, all good a coach I am, Corey Lipinski was a pitcher for us, get drafted in the eighth round. Beginning of his sophomore year, we're down south and we're playing an intrasquad squad game before we started the season and he walks like six guys. He was a lefty, had some, had some juice in his arm. Walks like six guys in a row. And I said, that's it, you're done. because you know, he was our, our four hole hitter. He was a really good baseball player. End of the year, he says, coach, let me, can I pitch, a, pitch an inning on the last non-conference games? I said, yeah, why not? He goes, I, I've worked on some things. He says, I think I'm okay now. So we put him in a game and he strikes out the side and I think nothing of it. The other coach comes over and he says, aren't you the biggest dummy? I goes what? he goes, that kid hasn't pitched at all for you. He's throwing 91 miles an hour. And I was like, what? Then the next year, his junior year, he comes out and he's just, he's 91, 92, touching 93 with a big power curveball. Eighth round draft choice. And the beginning of his sophomore year, he couldn't throw strikes. And we kind of, I kind of walked away, to be honest with you. But to his credit, he kind of wanted to pitch. And did we think he was going to be a pro prospect in the draft? No, he just kind of wanted to pitch. But boy, when the light went on, <laughs> he was really good.
0: <laughs> what do you feel like are the biggest differences now from when you first started coaching?
1: Oh, recruiting. Recruiting back then was um, I, I want to say it's easier and harder. It's a little bit of both. I would go to the local Legion team in town when when a champagne would come in Decatur, talk to the coaches find kids. Summer baseball was was big American Legion. Fall baseball was didn't exist and then you really didn't get out and see many spring kids because of your own season. Uh, now you've got kids from all over the Midwest calling you. You got access to videos, evaluations. It's made it hard, it's made it easier to find kids but it also has made it harder because more and more schools are recruiting off the internet off videos and never seeing the guys and i remember a coach one time was talking about three or four kids from his area division one school and he goes 10 years ago we would have had those kids now he said a small podunk little town kid is going to be seen by everybody because of the internet and showcases um that he's going to and 15 years ago nobody knew about those kids
0: what are some of the similarities between now and and back then coaching wise
1: you're still going to get out there as a coach recruit you're still going to have those relationships with coaches that you trust Um, it still comes down to you know just selling yourself selling the school Um, probably have to sell more what you do as a program now than anything, you know, the, with the um, new wave of uh, video, blast motion, Rap Soto, Track Man, hit tracks, all that stuff. There, a lot of these kids come from summer league programs that have everything, and they come to a smaller school, and we don't have that kind of money, um, so that's a hard sell because they're used to it. Um, but they're still looking for a place to play. They still want that education, and you show them your success, and they understand it.
0: What do you feel like makes a great coach?
1: Success. Let's be honest. You're, you're, you are really based as a coach on success, winning, winning championships, NCAA appearances, uh, you look at, at the big time level in football, basketball. There, there are some really, really great coaches that are X's and O's, but they don't win much. Uh, maybe it's just the their school. It's a, it's a tough sell to get to their school. Um, developing relationships with high school coaches, junior college coaches, uh, the relationships with your players. Uh, making sure that you do the right thing to get them on the road after they graduate to graduate, jobs, grad school, being there for them. Uh, you know, we as coaches, and you've been through it as well, you, you, have a lot of, you have a lot of conversations in your office with some kids that are pretty deep about life, serious issues, family, health issues, that you it's basically you between you and the kid in the four walls. Um, so it's really a, a combination of all that. I don't want to say great coach. I, I think all the good coaches do that. I think the great coaches sometimes I, Gordy Gillespie back in the day when he would speak at a clinic, I was mesmerized and I was a kid from Maine didn't know Gordy Gillespie from anybody and I listened to a couple of his uh, lectures at clinics, and my gosh, I said, this guy was God, listening to him. And I still have a lot of Gordy Gillespie type things that I still, 35 years later, still use. Um, So some guys have the gift of selling ice to Eskimos. (laughs) Maybe that's the guys that are great.
0: You've coached some great teams here, and you guys won the the national championship in 2010. Um, What was different about that team? Besides, you guys got hot at the end.
1: And that's it, to be honest with you, we... 10 out of your last 12? uh, 14 out of the last 16. Love it. We were 14 and 17 April 29th. The biggest thing with that team was we get healthy. We had a lot of guys dinged up, banged up, and, and and really, to be honest with you, we, if it wasn't for bad luck, we wouldn't have had any that year, and we got everybody healthy, we made a couple position changes, and then we just get on a roll, and my gosh, it I, I always say it was 19 days. At what days. point did you
0: think you were going to win the national championship? The last out?
1: Uh, pretty much. We we were such an underdog, we were just happy to be there the whole time, and you know, we won the first game and I kept telling the guys, "Hey, you know what? We got another night in the hotel, you know. We're going to we're going to be here another day." And then when we won the second game. I was really excited because I knew we were going to finish in the top 4, and our school has a we don't, we hang banners for top 4 finishes. I said, "I was really excited. I said, "You guys are going to hang a banner. We're going to finish in the top 4 in the country." Um, then after that, it was, you know, we beat Linfield 4 to 3 interesting side story they led the country in fielding percentage that year and again everything was lined up for us we beat them 4-3 they made four errors we scored four unearned runs and, you know baseball gods karma were on our side um that's why you go play the game though because oh I, my god you gosh. don't play it on paper no we played Coral state in the championship game my right fielder two outs in the first drops a fly ball Next guy hits a two-run homer. We're down 2-nothing and I I looked to my assistant and I said, "This can't happen." I said, "No way. We've come too far." And then we literally went on a 17-to-nothing run. Next you know it was 17 to 2. And in about the 6th inning we scored I think 9 runs and um, well, we, just, we just we just we just were rolling. I'm waving guys and I'm I'm wiping the sweat off my face, but I was crying. <laughs> it's really really unbelievable experience. It's, I wish every coach could get to that point and have that experience. It was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yep. it's uh, tremendous. You have a beautiful stadium here. Um, how much fundraising do you have to do and what are some of your bigger fundraising events you have here?
1: I've got a great administration from back when I first started, Jack Hornberger, who the field is named after, after Denny Bridges who was my AD for 30 years. Uh, Mike Wagner, who is our AD now and is, is fantastic. We don't fundraise. It, it, I have one of the best jobs in the country, Division 1, 2, 3, JUCO, NAI, any level. Uh, our school has always said we, we recruit students to be student athletes, not fundraisers. Uh, as a coach, I did one time. I, I called. I called a gentleman. We were building Jack Hornberger Field, and we weren't going to have lights. And it was the dad of a player, and he was very successful. And some of the kids were saying, "Coach, you need to call Mr. So and So. He wants to do it." So I called him, and I said, "I don't know how to raise money, but you know, I've heard through your son and some players, you." you may be interested in doing it. And he goes, I'd love to coach. How much you need? So I you know, told him 250000 And he's just a, such a really, a really good guy. He goes, well, if I get it to you tomorrow, is that okay? And I, I was stunned, uh, but his accountant was in town and he said, call my accountant tomorrow, they'll go pick up the check. And I was, so anyways, going back to fundraising, we don't do any. Um, some of these schools I feel bad because a lot of them have to raise 50, 60, 70, 80,000 a year. Uh, I've got a great situation with our school, our administration. None of our teams fundraise, so it, it, it's a great bonus for us.
0: You're here, you watch a lot of games. Any recommendations for players or parents coming up right now?
1: Don't get caught up in. Uh, the, the rankings you know the prep baseball report rankings don't get caught up on having to play a certain position don't get caught up in, you have to win and everything um, I think every coach will tell you that the, a lot of programs now it, it's it's about winning and, and getting a trophy on a weekend and then I watch how kids take the field how they the, the oh just the fundamentals are, are lost because it's all about winning and they're not developing players. And, and I, I equate it to the launch angle philosophy. God, we got so many more strikeouts nowadays. You may hit, a, you may hit eight, 10 home runs, but you strike out 45 times. I mean, so we're gonna sit around every 30 of bats, we get a home run. Well, that home run may be in a eight, nothing blowout. You know, is it in a two, two game? Uh, I go to so many showcases and every kid throws and after they throw the ball, it's it's usually a ball in the dirt, they look back to see how hard they throw it. So, you know, velocity is pitchers. Pitchers, they don't know how to pitch. You know, all it is is just violent, herky-jerky movement and it drives me nuts and people are writing down, oh, you know, 86, 88, 91 and I sit there and sarcastically say, ball eight, ball 12, um, have no feel for breaking balls. So I think we're caught up in this generation right now of home runs, launch angle, strikeouts, velocity from the pitcher's side. And give me a guy that knows how to pitch. 83, 85, they can spin a curveball, throw a changeup, you know, and, and just goes out there. And after the game, you go, God, that guy's good, you know.
0: Just I talked to a cross-checker the other day, and, you know, dealing with higher end velocity, but the separator still, if a guy can get a secondary pitch over for a strike. And that's even for the guys that throw hard. Um, yep. Or the guys that don't throw hard, the separator is what they can do with their secondary stuff or how much movement and command they have on their fastball. Like Those, those things still play at any velocity.
1: They, they play at any velocity, they play at any level. Mark Kingston, South Carolina's coach, good friend. He was at ISU and they won the conference tournament, made the NCAA. And we got talking one day, and he goes, you know, he says, you give me 85, 87, the guy can spin a breaking ball. We're going to win a lot of games. And I tell my pitchers all the time, I'll ask them, you know, how many home runs have you given up in your career since you were 10 years old? I'll say, you say you're giving up 100. I bet 98 of them are off fastballs. I said, throw more sliders. And I, I actually, I think Lance McCullers, three years ago, did a lot of favors for pitches. Uh, when he closed out the World Series with 24 straight sliders, and the announcers were like, "On, oh, they were laughing. This is unbelievable." But I can't remember who he beat. But they knew it was coming. They still couldn't. They couldn't touch it. Uh, so, if you ever talk about velocity, they need to show that clip of 24 straight sliders and say, "Yeah, you know, if you can throw it 88 and throw a slider, you can throw it 82 and throw a slider like that. You're going to win at any level you're throwing at."
0: Who was your favorite coach growing up and why?
1: You know, I grew up in Maine. I'm a big Red Sox fan. and Joe Morgan. And boy, I can't remember when it was. Morgan Magic. The Red Sox went on the run of, in the middle of the season, they changed managers. And he was an old retired toll booth collector in Massachusetts. And he was helping with the Sox. And, and he was just the nicest gentleman. Um, and it asked him why he did something gut feeling. But he was an old school manager that just, he kept it simple. Um, and, you know, and maybe it was easier back in those days. You didn't have social media questioning everybody, all the, you know, and the media after the game. And, and when he said, I just, I just felt that was the right move at the time. And that's the way he coached. And he was just such a, a good man, simple man. And when you listen to him, you know, interview after game on TV or radio, you just you couldn't help but not like the guy. And and, his, and the team played well, and they won. Uh, it was I, I thought it was really interesting. I've always, I've always liked just his demeanor. Do you have any fail-forward moments in coaching or something maybe
0: you thought was going to set you back but was probably the best thing that ever happened to you?
1: Oh, I think early on, just experience of, I'm not sure one, any one moment. Early on in my career, I was a young coach and still learning a lot. Um, and when I took over the program, we were we were okay. I, I know I made lots of mistakes. I was a rebel rouser. Still, to, to this day, still a little bit M. Um, but you learn as you go along. Certain things, you know, you just you grow as a coach, as a person. Um, I don't think anything in particular. But there was some really hard losses that you look back and think, "I'm never doing that again." You know, or oh, what was I thinking? You know. Um, but sometimes you, as a young guy, you you try to maybe micromanage a game you know steal a guy when you probably shouldn't have or you know force the issue and instead, instead of let the players play and you know do some things you you try to maybe overcoach or overmanage but i think that was more so over a period of time you learn you learn how many years things. did it
0: take you to learn that to
1: not overmanage oh probably 10 <laughs> you know as as a coach you 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 want to win you want to win yesterday. Nobody wants to win tomorrow. Uh, They don't want to win today. They all want to win yesterday. And and if I had any advice for a young coach becoming a head coach, work the process one step at a time, one brick at a time. You want to be the coach and, and you're at a junior high or a JV level, sophomore level high school or the high school varsity coach. Everybody wants to be, you know, the manager of the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Dodgers and they're they're going to they're going to win and show everybody and nobody cares if you win is like how do you develop players how how do your players are they well schooled are they well drilled and like i said earlier I, I, there's some great coaches i think that just haven't won because their schools are tough tough draws too but you know even even in illinois some small high schools you know that the coach stayed there forever Great Jim Workman, I I will give him credit. Jim Workman was a small-town kid out of high school, played at Eastern Illinois, went to a small school, Tremont, and they are so lucky to have a guy, baseball-wise, in that community that loves baseball, and he's not always blessed. I don't think he ever won a state championship. I don't think he ever made the state tournament with Tremont. But I tell you what, they were probably the best coach team in the area, big school, small school, maybe college. <laughs> He's, I think he was a tremendous baseball man and and I think a lot of small towns they have a guy like that that doesn't get any notoriety but you know, he he doesn't have a lot of talent, but boy the talent he has. He really develops them.
0: We talked about some resources off off-camera here um, what are you enjoying most about the ABCA convention videos
1: I love learning uh, thing lots of things on those videos I like finding a new drill I and mean, I think as coaches everybody has their vault of drills but then you go to a convention and you see a, a different twist on a drill um, I like I like going to a convention when people talk about hitting drills, you know, and not just you know, oh yeah, we get our hit tracks and you know, rap soda. We do all these uh, analytical stuff. No, give me give me some information of you know what what particular drill. Show me what drills you do for what reasons. Um, you know, infield defensive drills, situations, how you work on them, some base running drills that. You can put you know 10, 12 guys out there, and they're all doing something. I, I think a lot of coaches, young, old like me, I still like going and listening to a guy talk about. When they say, "Hey, pitching drills," I'm I'm in the front row. You know, I want to see what's this guy do, what kind of drills he has that I can take back. And sometimes it's it's terminology, and you change your wording, and it just strikes a kid the right way. He picks up on it, Um, but I really enjoy. I thank the ABCA for opening up the vault of all the convention clinics because, you know, I've been to many and it's some great, great coaches, great speakers, great information. And now to be able to access that, you know, I want to take a look at some of the, you know, infield stuff. And I get a, I want to brush up on the infield, or I, you know, I want some hitting drills. And the library that's now available is, is tremendous. And so I thank you and everybody at the ABCA for putting that out there for all the coaches. That's what we're here for. Do you have a favorite convention memory? Uh, my first one. I was, I was assistant basketball coach here for years. And one year I decided to go to the convention and I wanna say it was 89, 90, 91. It was in New Orleans. And I was in awe of all these guys that I saw there. <laughs> and, and you're talking like the big time coaches across the country. And I was talking to some people and, hey, do you know Skip Burtman at LSU? I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know Augie Garrido? Uh, I was introduced just with some people I knew and I was just mesmerized like, wow, I know you. <laughs> But uh, just the, the enormity of it all. And then just this past year down in Nashville, I mean, gosh. I mean, you, you've got like four or five hotels now, um, side side speakers. On, and, and I think that it's just uh, starting with Dave um, and now into Craig who, who are running it. The, the Pay attention to detail. I was very fortunate after we won it. Uh, in 2010 and in 2011 at Nashville, I'm up on the podium and Just the details that I got about what I was supposed to do and the setup and how you're gonna walk in specifically and Where are you gonna sit? I? Like my gosh, how, how do you guys pull it off? It's it, it, it's amazing and kudos to everybody on the ABCA staff because It's amazing, but my first one is is one I'll always remember just people I met and and then I'd never been so I didn't realize like wow all these coaches here and the stuff that I learned you know probably took home a whole you know book full of notes and it it, it was it was really fun well thank you very much coach I appreciate you spending
0: time with me today
1: Ryan I appreciate it and thanks to the uh, ABCA for everything they do and I will say, you know, 35 years, I'm a lifetime member, so thanks for the free membership the rest of the time. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Love it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Coach.
0: Thanks to Coach Martell for coming back on to finish up with me. I've enjoyed our conversations over the years at Hornberger Stadium and on-the-road recruiting. It's always great to talk to a coach that's poured their blood, sweat, and tears into a program. I hope we have a coach out there listening in who will spend 34 years with one program. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks again, and leave it better for those behind you.